Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. A Living History Production. I'm Peter Hart. And I'm Gary Bain. And together we're Pete and Gary's Military History Podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Uh, I'm Peter Hart. Here's Gary Bain. And what we got today, Gary? Well, today, Pete, it's another in the long-running series of laugh or cry and this one's entitled out of the line recreations just recreations that sort of suggests to me there might be a second one non-recreation that'll be working parties all <laughs> oh, right okay <laughs> always a laugh working parties well 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 days in the trenches they stretched out like weeks now the british they had regular rotation system, which was designed to maintain the morale of the troops during periods in the front and support lines. I know. Why? It's to give the lads something to look forward to, isn't it? Yeah, it restricts a stint to usually about three days. Now, although it involved a great deal of staff work, and I know what you think of staff work, oh, Pete. I'm all in favour of it. It's good stuff. And shuffling the units. Like have you had your units shuffled? I feel as if I've had them shuffled just at the moment, yeah. But it was seen to be worth it. In contrast to some of the problems suffered by other nationalities, who shall remain unmentioned, who left troops to rot in the front line for longer with no hope of relief. I think the basic principle is that the idea is you can suffer a great deal if there's light at the end of the tunnel. No matter how dark and grim that tunnel may be. Oh, it's terrible, isn't it? Now, the process of a battalion being relieved was also complicated. The trenches couldn't be left unguarded. Yeah, you can't just all bugger off, can you? <laughs> no, so the troops had to filter in with the in-and-out routes. In-and-out? Yeah, in-and-out Like the in-and-out club. Predefined to avoid the, the communication trenches being blocked with men. Now, there's also last-minute briefings to be passed on as to new threats, parts of the trench needing repair after a bombardment. Fixed machine gun lines, yeah. Yeah, active snipers and the exact state of German trenches. Where they were, for instance. <laughs> now, the journey back to the billets was just... <laughs> if the weather was bad and it was in a bad area, it would, could be a nightmare. Uh, what did Captain Geoffrey Dugdale of the uh, 6th King Shropshire Light Infantry say? Young Gaz. On reading the trench, we saw a man stuck in a shell hole. Give us there, mate. I can't move in this fucking mud, he shouted. It took two of us, one on each arm, to move him at all. Something's cool, he yelled. Just then, he came away from the mud, causing us to fall over. We roared with laughter. Poor devil, 
He'd left his breeches, pants and everything else in the mud. He stood in his shirt. What are you going to do now? Don't you worry about me, sir, he replied. I shall get back to billets if I have to crawl the whole fucking way. I can't believe these people in the First World War swore. What a brilliant accent, I thought. <laughs> I thought you had actual pitch. Now, they, it's so pitch dark, remember? They'd be stumbling through the communication trenches and there's all sorts of things that could trip up, trip them up. Or, you know, literally. why? Literally. And they'd often start singing. And I love the sort of songs they used to sing there. Was it, was it Tipperary? The, the old cheery marching songs, do you think? Well, no, their lyrics were often... Uh, complex uh, evocations of their hopes. Sophisticated lyrics. Their though. dreams. Oh. Their aspirations for a future free of the niggling irritations of army discipline. Now, we've got one which we're <laughs> going to have a go at and it goes, <laughs> goes something like this. And uh, you're going to start by, by relating what Private Fred Dixon of the 10th Queen's Royal West Surrey Regiment says. When we were on the march, some wag would start up a bit of doggerel. And it would go like this. We, we won't be buggered about. We won't. We won't be buggered about. We won't. We won't be buggered about. We won't. We won't be buggered about. And this would be taken up by the whole battalion. Wow. Um, I bet that sounded fantastic. I with think there'd be that. tears in the, in, in the eyes of our listening public. Now, by the time they got to their billets, many of the men were not only tired, but stressed. And on arrival, many must have wondered what kind of accommodation they'd find. And this is what Private John Tucker of the 2nd 13th London Regiment, that's Kensington. the Kensington Battalion, they've yeah, come up favorites. before. Uh, and this is what he has to say. Troops coming out of action for a short spell in reserve had to be content with living in the open, sometimes in the remains of old battered trenches and shell holes, often under long-range shell fire. In wet, muddy weather, this can be a miserable hell. Often the so-called rest would only be a few hours or a night or two. Uh, orders coming for a return to the front line, either in the same or nearby sector, until at last relieved for a spell in the back areas, sometimes in an evacuated village, or if lucky, where there are a few civilians civilians and an estaminet or two. I would sometimes think of my parents at home and be glad to believe that they were snug and warm and wonder if they ever imagined what we were enduring over here. The plaintive wail of our fat little bantam, that's an undersized uh, soldier, exclaiming, if only more mother could see me now, seemed very appropriate and afforded some comic relief in spite of the pathos. Now, at this point, I'm going to correct myself, and I'm surprised you didn't correct me, because when we were singing that song, and it, you said it could be taken up by the whole battalion, and I said, it must sound great with a hundred people singing it, but a battalion, of course, would be about a thousand. Oh, well spotted, Gary. Well, I thought I'd correct myself. I couldn't have left that unsaid. I'm surprised at you, Pete. Oh, I feel, I feel chastened. Well, I'll chase Now, the troops were often billeted in farm buildings. Now, what do you think happened with the officers? Ah, ah, but, ah, oh, sir, sir, me in the back. Sir, 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 were they in the farmhouse? <laughs> Absolutely. And the men, where do you think they'd be? Uh, anywhere. <laughs> so spread out in, in a mixture of ramshackle buildings. Um, yeah, Jesus, born in the stable. Yeah. Now, as they gazed at the drafty barns that were to be their home for the next few days... The soldiers often responded in the manner which a keen observer of the typical soldier's behaviour over the centuries 
might well have predicted. This is what Lieutenant Walter Belford, 11th Australian Battalion, said. The boys were at first rather shocked at the look of the rough billets that were allotted to them. And when one company was uh, shown a large bear shed, which was to be the temporary home of the troops, the faces of the boys registered first astonishment and then dismay. As the first of the disillusioned troops began to file in, some wag, thinking no doubt of the shearing sheds in far-off Western Australia, started to bleat like a sheep. And soon there was the most wonderful chorus of mowing and barring that ever afflicted the eardrums. <laughs> now the outbuildings themselves were sometimes in a terrible state, not so much ramshackle as actually falling down, in which they were soon joined by men who trusted the strength of the attic flooring. I can guess where this is going to go. And this is Lieutenant Lionel Sotheby of the second Black Watch Black Watch. Oh, Scottish. Aye. The houses are mostly on one floor with haylofts above. The outhouses, queer barns, with mud walls and floors feet deep in straw. The first accident soon came as the ladders have to be used to ascend. There are only one ladder for five lofts, so struggles ensured. One lot captured the ladder and one man ascended. The top rung broke and down he came. Everyone hugely delighted. One loft was so bad that the men used to keep falling through the ceiling as fast as they reached the upper room. I can imagine like an Escher drawing. They're all running up into the, into the falling through and running back out. At this point, I would like to apologise to all my ancestors. <sighs> Are these the Jewish, Lithuanian, especially, Russian Especially ones? the Scottish <laughs> pirates. <laughs> uh, oh, dear. oh, dear. Now, the men made the best of it and soon settled in. After all, it was a lot better than the trenches. And what's a lot better than uh, the barn? <laughs> well, the officer's mess established in the farmhouse was a, a haven, haven. A haven, Gary. And, of course, officers had the benefit of their servants to tend to their every need. And then again, some of them were uh, utterly useless. <laughs> and this, once more, is Lieutenant Lionel Sotheby of the Second Black Watch. I can't help but think of you as I read this. Uh, my servant is... Oh, no, Scottish again, is he? I, my, servant is, my servant is none too good, and I can scarcely say one good word for him. He's never punctual. He does not obey with alacrity. He's not smart or orderly in speaking and saluting, which latter is his worst point. He's much too untidy, careless, and lackadaisical. He's also very skimpy and non-thorough in all that he does. I am most particular in having a clean room and everything in order and his method is very jarring then again he's apparently very hard of hearing although only the other side of the door so he's shouting instructions he can't hear sir the other side i'm in a different room as i often say to my polly when she's bellowing at me now, one amusing story of life in the billets was regaled uh, uh, of Robert Graves. Now, Oh, we've had this we've story had, before in a yeah, different podcast. Uh, a man always willing to embellish a tale, but strangely reticent on this matter. And this comes from, uh, well, it's the famous book, The War of the Infantry New by uh, Captain James Dunn, Second Royal Welsh Fusiliers. You seem to be Scottish. <laughs> a company headquarters was the cellar of a house. Among the occupants were two much-made-of kittens and graves. Graves had reputedly the largest feet in the army and a genius for putting both of them in everything. He put one on a kitten. It was enough. Not long afterwards, he was transferred to the 1st Battalion. 
It's funny that's not mentioned in his book. Uh, now, uh, the, the French and Belgian civilians, they've got to share their lives with their, with the, these British troops, haven't they? Uh, and they're, they are a bloody nuisance. Of course, British troops are a bloody nuisance. Uh, on the other hand, on the other hand, Gary, what are those British troops trying to do? Well, they're there fighting to save the country from the German jackboot. Now, despite a mutual interest in the promulgation of a successful war, the two sides shared little else except a baffled incomprehension. And this is one of, from one of our favourite books, isn't it? It's a history of the second sixth uh, battalion by, uh, and chap, well, Captain Charles Potter, the second sixth Lancashire Fusiliers, and he says this. Off parade, we, we fraternised with the inhabitants and began to make our wants known in that delightful medium of intercourse which we fondly believed to be French and which the inhabitants just as firmly believed to be English. <laughs> now, the language difficulties, they're, they're inevitable, but the Tommies certainly left their mark on the language of their hosts. And this is Private Norman Ellison of the 1st 6th King's Liverpool Regiment. <laughs> Sorry, I love this quote. Awakened by great shouted oaths below, peeped over the side of the manger and saw a Belgian lass milking and addressing a cow with a comprehensive luridness that left no doubt in my mind that British soldiers had been billeted here before. <laughs> I just love picture the swearing. Oh dear. And the same phenomenon was encountered with Belgian uh, civilians. Uh, and they too had clearly learnt a lot from the British. And this is uh, Captain Guy Chapman, 13th Royal Fusiliers, the man who did Vainglory, the famous compendium. He said this. He spoke sadly. This is talking about an officer friend of his and uh, who's nameless in this. But he said this. Chapman says, he spoke sadly of everything Belgic. Why, they can't even speak our language, he said indignantly. A few days before, while hambling in a stately fashion through Locke, saluting with grave elegance the ladies of the place, he had offered a bonjour, my petit to a small girl who was watching him with a serious eye. Swift as a bullet came the reply, God, fast. Now, there's countless You're not supposed to laugh at your own jokes. I suppose tech, these aren't really our jokes, Gary. They're just things we find amusing. They are written by other people. Now, there were countless grievances on both sides. The French and Belgians guarded their daughters, yep. their livestock. Some people have interesting habits. Their crops, their orchards, their wood piles, and their water as zealously as they could. Well, they sold their food, beer and wine at what they considered a fair rate. Uh, but the British, they don't understand. Why don't they understand? Well, they couldn't understand the attitude. Were they not the heroes fighting to defend these ungrateful wretches? So I suppose they expected it all for free. Well, I don't know what they expect, but these people are poor. And and one thing is water, and it comes up a lot in personal experience accounts. Uh, there is a real problem here. The French wells and Belgian wells are often limited in the amount of water they can supply. But the troops just don't appreciate this. And feelings run very high on both sides. This is what Second Lieutenant Harold Mellish of the 7th South Lancashire Regiment said. The farmer's wife, furious because my company are bathing, the first time in two months, in a shed where a copper gives them a chance to have a hot bath. By copper, he means a copper bath or something, a big beer. Yeah, it's a heater, isn't it? Oh, right, yeah. yeah. Apparently, she doesn't want the copper used. She's a grasping old body and wants money, I fancy. So dashed in and emptied a cold bucket on the fire while the men were in their tubs, nearly scalding and suffocating them. When she tried to repeat it, 
The man in charge, a very civil fellow, and ordinarily well-behaved, kicked her bucket onto the dung heap. She swears he caught her by the throat, but all the men say he didn't. Now, what do you think? I think he probably did. Yeah, I think he probably did. Now, one trait of the, of the French, and this is an amusing one in my view, is they're just not embarrassed when it comes to bodily functions. And, you know, the famous outdoor privies uh, that, that, that they still have in some French villages and, and towns. Uh, but the, it comes to more of this. And this is what Private John Tucker, 2nd 13th London Regiment, who are they? The Kensington Battalion. Still! <laughs> At one of the camps near a village behind Arras, we had some rather embarrassing visitors. Our latrine, as a usual deep trench, uh, surrounded by a, a, a pole supported by uh, tre- tre- trestles, the area being screened by, by canvas. Uh, two or three young women would arrive from the village and walk along the seated occupants selling chocolates from trays hung from their soul- shoulders. This they did quite unconcernedly, joining in with the inevitable banter. I wonder what that banter was. Now, in addition... Hang on a moment, lass, I'll be with you, surely. <laughs> for some unfathomable reason... I can't think of it. It is unfathomable to me. It seems that French women found the sight of young, virile British soldiers bathing in the naughty naked nude... No, naughty naked nude. ...to be of great fascination. However, there were exceptions. Now, this is what uh, Major David Rory... First, second Highland Field Ambulance, RAMC, said. Uh, this is one of your favourites, I believe. A complaint came in from a super-sensitive lady living in a house at the canal side to the effect that she could not look out of her back windows without having her finer feelings shocked by the sight of our uncostumed men bathing. We sent her a polite message that the difficulty could be met on all such occasions by her seizing the opportunity to enjoy the purely pastoral landscape visible from the front of her establishment. <laughs> I do like David Rory. Uh, he's got it's one of it's a book you read and you got these quotes. I forgot what it's called now. It's a great book though. Uh, now uh, another favourite and and. I've realised I keep putting words like irascible, bad-tempered, mean-spirited, but actually I think we really like him. Norman Down, he's uh, he's taken all unawares in his makeshift bath there, but uh, how could he console himself, do you think, Gary? I don't know, you're going to tell us. Well, he consoled himself with an excellent joke. And here it is. This is Lieutenant Norman Down. This is when he was with the fourth Gordon Highlanders. He does move about. Here we stayed for a day or two in glass houses, the largest in the world, so they say. In the parts where grapes are being grown, the hot water pipes are still on. My servant discovered this in a tub and procured me a hot bath. Just as I was getting into it, along came a bevy of fair grape pickers. He means women, folks. Horrible confusion. Moral, and here it comes, Gary, are you ready? Moral, those who live in glass houses shouldn't have baths. Why are we laughing? <laughs> the troops were given baths as often as they could be uh, managed. Yeah. While at the same time, their, oh God, their underwear and uniform would be steam clean to kill, or rather try to kill, yeah. the pernicious lice. Now, most troops out at rest, uh, they've got a limited range of interest. I mean, when you were a soldier, you had a limited range of in- interest. In fact, your limited range of interests are almost entirely the same as theirs. What are their interests? Well, they like to eat food that wasn't bully beef and biscuits. Yes. To consume alcoholic beverages. You did used to like that. 
and engage in sexual activity. And I did used to like that as well. Yeah, but you were allowed to by your various wives. Most of these requirements could be satisfied, at least in part, at the local estaminets. 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 Oh, no, I'm not to bully you. That three-year-old said. Now, the ubiquitous egg and chips was much referenced in post-war accounts and interviews. It was, yeah. Cheap, simple and satisfying, it was the perfect top-up meal. Every street seemed to have an estaminet. Competing for trade and flaunting wow. their natural assets. Well, this is uh, this is Private Stephen Graham of the Second Scots Guards. Aye, the villagers swarmed with troops. Every mother who possessed a pretty girl seemed to use her as an innocent lure to sell bad coffee or wine to the soldiers who crowded in to flirt with her and say things to her they could never have said to an English girl or a Scottish girl. I think the French girls who repeated and threw back at the men all the bad language they heard had little notion what it all meant. I bet they bloody did. <laughs> uh, I, I think generally, at Estaminets, do you think sex is actually going to happen? No, it was in the air, but but I don't think much of it was on the cards. Yeah. It was more a matter of allurement than gratification. Yeah, I would imagine so. Now, uh, we'll come back to sex, I think, in more sordid uh, things. Uh, what, what was the second thing we thought? Third, what was the thing that a lot of soldiers liked? Drink. Did you used to like drinking, Gary? No, couldn't stand it, Pete. You couldn't stand after it? No. No, it, drink's always a besetting, besetting vice of British soldiers across all of the ages. Yep. The Great War's no different, and men often got very drunk indeed. Well, the assortment of drinks available, the different strengths. This is classic. They're used to weak beer. It's, uh, it's the same uh, today. We've just been to Belgium. Oh, what happened to me? What happened to me? <laughs> yeah. After two pints of the Belgian beer. Yeah. Uh, it's just a, a variety of disasters. And the next story, which I'm going to tell, uh, is a, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a warning, Gary, of the perils of drink. This is Private Harry Stinton, 1st 7th London Regiment. I made a dash towards the latrine, which was in the rear of the estaminet garden. Getting in sight of it, I found it was already occupied. So breaking the buttons of all of my all the buttons of my trousers in my haste to relieve myself, I stooped down with a big sigh behind some bushes in the garden. What a relief! I was all of a sweat. It was now dusk. After relieving myself, I looked up. <laughs> found I was relieving myself right in front of the living room window of the estaminet, which was filled with several persons staring at me. I didn't stop to count them, but hurriedly adjusted my clothes and bolted inside. Evidently, the people did not recognise me, and no one else saw me enter the garden, for the people made complaints to the orderly officer, and he sent out orders for the man to confess his guilt. Do you think he did? <laughs> of course, seeing that they didn't know who it was, I didn't volunteer the information. Had I done so, I no doubt would have got into serious trouble. And that's just a delightful story of someone absolutely desperate for a crap. It's just brilliant. Now, he's a private soldier, but the officers were just as bad. No, Gary, officers are all perfect in every way. Another story warns of the perils facing those who boast of their drinking capacity. Pride comes before a fall. And this is Lieutenant Charles Lander of the 10th Royal Warwickshire Regiment. 
Much amusement was caused here at mess one evening by Second Lieutenant Rainbow's efforts to drink half a bottle of Cointreau for a wager of 60 francs. And this was after he had already done himself quite well at dinner with other drinks. He was successful, of course. Nothing would beat him in this line. But I was his unfortunate companion in billets. I managed to get him home and to steer him through Madame's bedroom without any too suggestive a conversation with her, but was not able to undress him and down he flopped on his bed, dead to the wide world. A little after midnight, crash, went the window, and getting up with a start, I discovered friend Rainbow and his head through the broken window, groaning for all he was worth. Uh, I suppose drink helps men forget, and they've got a lot to forget, Gary. Well, let's not just forget for the moment, Pete. Let's have an advert. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Now, hopefully you've not all forgotten what we were talking about, and welcome back. (laughs) Welcome back indeed. Sex. Sex, sex. Grab them, lure them in. Lure them in. Sex was rarely freely available in the billeting areas. Yeah, one way or another, men are going to pay. How how do they pay? What do you think? Well, it's either a financial transaction or gifts. Some men were lucky enough to encounter girls willing to sleep with them, but this could cause terrible problems with the outraged families for this insult to their family honour. Yeah, there's another threat that's probably even more realistic. What's that? Well, that kind of free sex still carried a very real threat. And that threat was a venereal disease, or VD, as it was commonly known. So, what's that? Well, it's particularly I've never heard of this. Gonorrhea, yep. syphilis, and 
Crabs. What's that? Well, they're tiny insects that thrive on human blood, especially around the genitals. That sounds a bit like you, Pete. (laughs) It's not nice. There were written warnings (laughs) and regular lectures warning of the perils of VD, but frankly, it did very little good. Well, I I love the next quote because it's uh, barracking and laughter, the usual response then and now to the earnest warnings of the padre or clergyman. And this is Private Edmund Williams, 19th King's Own Liverpool Regiment. Oh, fucking hell. The The lecture was given by Brigade's Bishop. At the conclusion, he said, Remember, for five minutes of pleasure, you'll get a lifetime's misery. The sergeant major got up and said, How the hell do you make it last five minutes? That's a voice that rings across the, the, the centuries to, to, to mankind. In the larger villages and towns, there were brothels, which later in the war were regulated by the army, hoping to avoid or mitigate the effects of VD. It was a real problem. It was, but there were thousands upon thousands. These initiatives inspected the prostitutes for disease and also sought to provide prophylactics. Uh, what is a prophylactic when it's at home, Gary? It's a rubber. A Johnny. A Durex. We then. nearly had that. And uh, that's, uh, we'll get some money off mentioning Durex. Uh, <laughs> to establish that the soldier protected himself when having intercourse. Now, what's the universal truth of oral history? Uh, indeed, any personal experience. What do, you, what do you think that universal truth might be? Well, while they may have known of, seen and sometimes even visited a brothel, they never personally availed themselves of the services offered. Of course, no, 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 well, not me. actually, do you know, Gary, a lot of them, I mean, they, they're not all randy as rabbits. I mean, a, a lot, some of them are just young, uh, innocent lads. And uh, this is Private Harry Wells, Sea Battery 175 Brigade, Royal Field Artillery. He says... Whether you believe him or not, I I was too young to worry about sex. The other boys used to line up for the prostitutes. There were licensed brothels to keep the men quiet. Those that were older, if they wanted sex, they were able to line up for it there. It didn't worry me at the time. Uh, notice the implication. It would have worried him later in life when he got a bit of experience and knew what it was all about. However, many of the men were interested. Would you have been one of those men? No. Yeah? They were in the prime of life. A oh, life. Yeah. <laughs> That's not you, is it? A life that might not last much longer. And they were keen to make the most of their chances. And this is the greatest name for a quote talking about sex. This is Private Dick Reed of the 8th Leicestershire Regiment. The first call for many was the Red Lamp the brothel some distance up a side street, whence the queue stretched as far as the main road. On the further side stood several red-tabbed brass hats of our divisional staff, watching the scene in amused amazement. Before lights out that evening, it was said that the general had been among those watching, and he was credited with the remark, My God, if there's Lester's fuck like they fight, God help these poor women in there. Probably a complete fabrication, of course, but amazingly morale-lifting at the time. Judging, however, by the conversation before the candles were doused and the snores commenced, one of the women, by catering for the needs of about 80% of our company, had earned the uh, sobriquet of the Baby Elephant. An amazing performance by any standards. You said sobriquet. (laughs) Well done. Thank you. Now, George Ashurst, a friend 
of ours and somebody that you indeed I interviewed him in Wigan he was a fabulous he was adamant that while he visited the brothel with his mates he was not at all tempted although he seems to have remembered the details of the procedure in the bedroom for the best part of 70 years yeah we've uh, and this is where he was second language views he says this aye oh so common no 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 I didn't fancy them at all Tom said are you going up there I said nah not with them things the women were all sorts of ages. Fellas would tell you what it was like going in. She's there. First thing she does is grab your five franc note. That's the first thing she does. Then she unfastens your flies and has a feel. Squeezes it. Sees it that's out wrong way. Then she just throws this cloak off and she's on the bed ready for you. That's what happens. Then when you finish, she has a kettle boil in there with some herbs in it. She gives you a bit of a swill with it for safety's sake, for disease. But oh, I didn't go up there. Now, <laughs> well, there's two things I note from that. One, I think he did. And two, no disrespect to, to George. Two, uh, I'm not sure about this boiling water. <laughs> well, it sounds like they're having a cup of tea, isn't it? A bit of herbal tea. But... <laughs> All joking aside, venereal disease was no joke. No. As you mentioned, tens of thousands of men fell victim to it. And this uh, is Private George Ashurst once more. Ah, we used to have a week's leave in Paris and summit boys would return full of pox. On the train back, they used to have bra- braziers. I've never been able to say that. <laughs> braziers to keep you warm. And one particular boy who'd been to Paris a few times said he'd sat too near brazier with his legs open that he'd gone to sleep. And when he awoke, he found his trousers nearly alive, alight and his private privates burned. That's when he said he'd gone wrong. It wasn't that. He'd come back with pox and his penis was nearly falling away. It was so rotten. That's, uh, yeah. Um, um, yes, um, VD, the, the thing is, well, I think we ought to say that none of this, it, it, it's, a, it's a fairly sordid business. But, I mean, I feel quite sorry for the women who have to work in the brothels as well. I'm sure you do as well. It, it is fairly sordid, the whole thing, isn't it? And it, and it wasn't. Just it's not really VD. fun, is it? The, the, the various treatments were no fun either. And to catch VD was to be considered malingering. Well, it was an army crime in the Second World War. Well. It, uh, you know, it's a crime. Now, <sighs> one re- relatively harmless pastime was the concert parties, which were set up by several units. Now, these were sort of variety shows, uh, redolent of the music halls with singers, comics, and most wondrous of all, women. Women. Well, this is what Private Davy Starrett of the 9th Royal Irish Fusion... A rifle, said. A rifle. The officers in the front seats came in for a good deal of chaff from the men, some telling them they should be on the platform with the performers. But they got nearly as a big a cheer when they came in as the entertainers themselves. The colonel was now firmly established as the old joker, and this title was heard a good many times that evening. One man actually asking him to sing amid general laughter. Hine, the adjutant, was also chipped a good deal. But save for his, his queer smile, took it in good part. Hi, mates, would you believe it? Look, they've sent us some girls from home. And it did look like it. Some of the men began brushing their hair with their grimy hands. And some of the young officers were nearly as bad. Even Hine winked at the performers, though only just married. By Jove, they could sing and dance, lifting legs so high that the front rows got sunburnt, and each time the curtain went down, the cheers nearly wrecked the hall. But the girls were boys, for at the last, there they were all standing with their wigs in their hands. 
<laughs> That's a wonderful expression. The front row's got sunburned. That that did throw me a little bit. And I knew it was coming. Now, Norman Downs, who, as you say, always a miserable bugger, took a perverse pleasure in the sheer awfulness of some of the performers on offering the shows put on within his battalion. The various comics were acceptable, but the singers were truly beyond the I know, I know how you feel about my singing, so it's appropriate that I've got this one. So this is what Norman Downs, he's with the fourth Gordon Islands at this time. The performer clears his throat huskily. His friends make encouraging remarks and offer useful suggestions. All power of song seems to have left him as he stands there, a prey to stage fright of the most virulent kind. At last he gathers up his courage and starts a low moaning, gradually rising in tone until he has attained his desired key. This seems a favourite way of doing it in the absence of a piano. Once started the song, which is the ultimate ultra-pessimistic Jail, your father has gone down in a good ship, green base type. Seems unending. Verses succeeding verse with regular monotony. You sit and pray for the end. It's a bit like you when you see the naughty lambs, isn't it? When at last he does stop it, the applause is simply terrific, but there's nothing in the musical line which the British soldier prefers to a good old mournful dirge. Warmed up by the clapping, the artist breaks forth into another rollicking ditty of some 14 verses. This time the poor child has lost her mother who has broken every hour, whatever that may be, and so the child, to make it rhyme properly, has no mother. More applause greets this effort, but now that the child is both fatherless and motherless, the, child, the singer seems to have lost interest and jumps down from the wagon and retires to nurse his grief. That's a fabulous thing. I love Norman Down now. <laughs> of a far more even quality were the near professional troops of performers set up by several of the divisions, which toured behind the lines performing regular shows for the men. And it wasn't all sexual frustration. There was a very real enjoyment of these shows. And this is, uh, well, we can't attribute it to either one. It's Captain Charles Potter and Lieutenant Albert Fothergill of the Second Sixth uh, Lancashire Fusiliers. We were enlivened by the 5th Divisional Concert Party, the Whizbangs. They gave an excellent show in the Municipal Opera House. Many of the items were topical and parodies on the songs of the day. Let's sing it together. If you, you were the only Bosch in the trench And I had the only bomb Was a delightful skit on If You Were the Only Girl in the World. Yeah, fabulous. Uh, what's another innocent pleasure that, you know, that doesn't involve gratuitous sexual, what's it? Writing home to family. Girlfriends. <laughs> Girlfriends and just friends. Yeah. The men were encouraged to write home as it was a healthy release. And it also meant they're more likely to get letters from home, which were much treasured. Of course they were, yeah. Although um, not as much as the occasional parcels <laughs> of assorted goodies and foodstuffs. Now, the letters they wrote, they're, they're censored by the officers, uh, although they could get a green envelope. What's a green envelope? Well, that could be used for more private communications, which would then only be censored at the base. And uh, Thomas Chalmers summed it up in his history of the 16th Highland Light Infantry. What's he say? Every officer must have scanned thousands of letters in search of military indiscretions. 
Mostly, as this source of information as to their contents reveals, letters were naive and simple, almost justifying the celebrated joke letter. Dear Mother, please send me the Christian Herald and £5, your loving son. P.S. Do not forget the Christian Herald. (laughs) Yeah. But in them all, long or short, bored or loquacious, gruff or affectionate, there was little reference to the war. Some were amusing. Dear wife, you will be glad to know I am teetotal. The beer here is not fit to drink. The padre occasionally acted as amanuensis to those who had never written a letter in their lives. One man, man who had won a decoration asked him if he would write a note to the old man. It was done and then read over to him. Man, that's grand, was his admiring remark. Would you mind writing the scene to the wife? <laughs> oh, dear. Um, now, uh, there are many stories of, uh, of uh, well, of, you call it Serrano de Bergerac arrangements. For, you know that. You, uh, yeah, where some poor woman was being wooed by letters that were, were penned by some literary silver-tongued Lothario. Oh, that sounds like me. Rather than a real-life monosyllabic monosyllabic dullard. Sounds like you. Thanks, mate. Now, this is, again, Lieutenant Norman Down. <laughs> He's our favourite, isn't he? <laughs> a certain officer who shall be nameless was engaged to a fair young thing. He couldn't write lo- love letters for nuts, but had in his platoon a certain ex-schoolmaster in the same way as himself. Accordingly, he used to copy out the best bits from his schoolmaster's effusions and insert them in his own poor missives. All went well till one day, in a fit of absent-mindedness, he forgot to change the girl's name. Some people never do have much luck, do they? Fabulous. Uh, Censorship was to uh, prevent the soldiers passing on details of their unit activities and location that might prove of use to the Germans. Yeah, and they all think they've got the clever codes, putting a dot under the letters they want to spell it out. Yeah, it was usually done to let their parents or loved ones know where they were so that they could follow the generalised newspaper reports as to what was happening to their uh, precious son. Now, uh, do they ever get a real rest while they're out at rest, do you think? Well, the one time really was on one of the rare periods of leave. So what does 2nd Lieutenant George Mitchell, 48th Australian Battalion, say? It is impossible to describe just what leave means to the soldier. For a similar depth of happiness, one must go back to childhood days. The leave pass with its printed and written lines is a passport to ten days of heaven. There is delight even in filling the pack with all the simple needs of ten days. The train is a golden chariot. Songs of joy ring in one's ears. Oh, God. Golden chariot, my arse. Now, for another perspective of Australians, we have uh, one of my all-time favourites. It's uh, a memoir that's held at the War Museum. Uh, It's uh, Lieutenant uh, Richard Dixon of 251 Battery, 53rd Royal Field Artillery. And his journey, he's going back with another British officer, and they're on their way back to Blighty. When they, uh, who do they meet, Gary? Well, they encounter some of his Australian counterparts in the officers' club at Boulogne. And it's while they're waiting for the the leave boat. And there's a, an interesting clash of cultures, I think, is how it would be described. Uh, we were tired, rather dirty, and we were in our, our war kit. We had our tin hats and gas masks slung from our shoulders. I was wearing a trench coat stained with blood and had in my Sam Brown belt a German Luger pistol in its halter. We entered the large barroom, filled with smoke and lots of Australian officers, most of whom were exceedingly tight. 
We thrust our way through to the bar counter where some boozy loons roared at us in mock terror. Jesus, they howled. Look, lads, there's a bloody war on somewhere. Captain Brown swore at them in English and Hindustani, and I gave them the benefit of certain French oaths which would have caused mortal offence had they comprehended the meaning. <laughs> but an Australian seemed constitutionally incapable of learning any other language but their own, and only about a couple of thousand words of that. So it didn't matter. They were bonny fighters, but intellectually... A dead loss. We like to address that quote, particularly to Matt. Hi, Matt. Mac- Mac- <laughs> Matt. He'll never listen this far. He won't listen this far. He'll have only got to the bits about buggery and thought, I've got to edit this. As they approached their homes, many realised that they were still accompanied by a veritable menagerie of lice. And this is Lieutenant Joseph McLean of the First Cameronians, that's the Scottish Rifles, um, or oh, I think recruited around Edinburgh. No, and, um, no, no, Gary. <laughs> and this is what he said. I went home on leave in a pretty lively condition. Aunt Maggie nearly had a fit when the wash lady called her attention to the mobile state of my undergarments. <laughs> uh, now, the people back home, they're, they're, they're friendly. They're, they're, they're superficially appreciative. But do you think they understand it? No, it's soon evident that they have no real inkling of the nature of life on the Western Front. And uh, this is 2nd Lieutenant Bernard Martin of the 4th North Staffordshire Regiment. Hmm. I was was often acclaimed a hero in frontline trenches. The word means nothing. More than once, strangers patted me on the back and offered to give me a drink in a pub. But even these good-natured people did not want to learn how heroes live and die. Exceptionally, I was asked... Do the French women who wash your clothes also mend them? And a man said, When it's too dark to go fighting, are you free for the evening? Can can you get to the cinema? I mean, you can imagine why this sort of thing annoys them. Well, you can. And Sergeant Jack Well, just to show the other side that the British soldier's always willing to take the piss himself. He was one of the first of his battalion to get home leave in June 1915. And he was more than willing to play up to the image of the returning hero. How does Jack Dorgan of the 1st 7th Northumberland Fusiliers do that, Gary? I took off my army issue hat on the bank side and I put a bullet through it so that when I got home, back to England, wearing a hat with a bullet hole through it, I could see that was a near one. And that's what I did. Members of my scout troop were all trying the hat on with a bullet hole, so they could say that was a near one. Honestly, it was from Northumberland. <laughs> that was Northumberland. Now, all too soon, their leave would be over. They'd catch the leave train to get the cross-channel ferry back to France. Can you imagine how you'd feel on oh, that? Yeah, because 10 days. I mean, even when you were young and on holiday, the last couple of days, you'd be thinking, oh, I've got to go back, you know. Or just before you go back to school at half term. But they this were is... back to the war yeah. and all its trials and tribulations. Uh, Many uh, wouldn't survive to see Blighty again. I'm afraid not. And that's, that's the underlying sadness. Really, you have to laugh or cry, Gary. Now... This series, dear listener, is because our book, Laugh or Cry, Life on the Western Front, 1914-1918. Well remembered, Gary. I don't think it is that. I think he's a British soldier on the Western Front. What evs? Um, he's out now. And he's available now. through all good and, and bad. bad booksellers. Taxpayers, non-taxpayers. Wherever you buy your books, that's my home. Yeah. Or you can buy it direct from Pen and Sword. Uh, 
Uh, it, uh, we hope you well. Uh, you will buy. It's the best way possible of supporting the podcast. Bugger buying us a coffee and bugger anything else. What we want you to do is buy the book, don't we, Gary? Yeah, and if uh, and if that, this is uh, popular, we might actually do another one. We might, and the other one might be quite good. It might be. Cheers, Pete. Cheers, Gary. Thanks for listening to the show. Blah, blah, blah. If you'd like to support blah, us, blah, you can now buy us a coffee. Blah, blah, Visit www.buymeacoffee.com backslash PGMH. Or... Visit www.blahblahblahblahblah. And we'd be jolly grateful. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook to learn more about each episode. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you have a couple of options. You can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee forward slash PGMH or consider subscribing to the podcast for only £2 per month and get ad-free listening and bonus content. You can find links for both on our Facebook and Twitter accounts. Sounds great, doesn't it?